at 8 o'clock sharp this morning, something very important took place near downtown Minneapolis. I should say in downtown Minneapolis, near U.S. Bank Stadium. And I mean 8 o'clock sharp, not 8 o'clock straight gate time, just to be clear. At 8 o'clock sharp, what happened this morning right near U.S. Bank Stadium? The Twin Cities Marathon started. The Twin Cities Marathon, after taking a year off, is back this year with 4,500 or so runners. 45 or so hundred runners. It's one of the largest urban marathons. This marathon starts by U.S. Bank Stadium in downtown. It heads around the chain of lakes. So it goes over to Calhoun or I... Yeah, the, the, whatever, the new name, whatever the new name for it is. Um, it goes all the way around and it continues down to Lake Nokomis. It goes over to the river. It goes down the river. It comes not too far from us, down near Franklin Avenue. And it cuts over the river. It goes back following the river on the St. Paul side until it gets to Summit Avenue. And it cuts right down Summit Avenue and it ends at the Capitol, 26.2 miles. 26.2 miles, 4,500 people running. Now, I'm not a big runner, okay? It just, it, I, I, I've told you before, I, I go for about two blocks, and I'm wondering why I'm doing this. What's the point of all of this? I need a, I need a com- competition to really get me moving. But it, it, it hit home for me when I realized, I read online that to run a marathon in three and a half hours, mind you, the record for men is nearly two hours at the Twin Cities Marathon, just over two hours. And for women, it's about two and a half hours. Three and a half hour marathon is running 26.2 miles at an eight minute mile pace. Eight minute mile pace for 26.2 miles. I also read that the Twin Cities Marathon is one of the, considered one of the most difficult of the marathon finishes because if you're down by the St. Paul River, where do you have to go to get to the capital? Up. Up. So the, the last kind of leg of the marathon, other than the final half mile that is downhill, is up. And you're getting to the end of a 20-plus mile run and running, at running seven, or you know, if you're really going hard, seven-minute mile paces, and you have to go uphill. What's my point? My point is that a marathon is a race of endurance. It's not going down to the local track and knocking out a 100-meter dash and saying, I'm done for the day. It's running for hours. What is needed for each of these runners is to overcome the difficulty that they are feeling at that specific moment and continue pressing on to the finish line. And you know exactly why I'm starting here when I realized that this weekend was the Twin Cities Marathon and we were preaching on Hebrews 12 and verse 1. I said, I have my introduction already. Why? Because notice here in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now what does that mean? We'll talk about that. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set 
before us. When we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, as we have been, we have been, I hope, really bringing into our consciousness week after week, we are not looking at Hebrews 11 as just a nice little portrait gallery that we say, those are some nice people over up there. I'd like to meet them. What a great picture of faith this is. What we are doing is we are seeing people who are inspiring us to change the way we live. In other words, this picture is not just a nice exhibition. It is an example. It is an inspiration. It is a motivation to the way you and I are running our race, the race that is set before us. The title of the message this morning, By Faith, Run with Endurance. By Faith, Run with Endurance. We're going to look at three components of this race today. First, just the race itself. What is this race that Hebrews 12 has to describe for us? Secondly, the reasons to run this race with endurance. And finally, the responses, the responses that make this enduring run, this marathon of our spiritual journey possible. First of all, the race, the race. Let us run with patience The race that is set before us. Let's simply start here. What do you think the author of Hebrews has in mind when he speaks of a race that is being run? Now, it's not odd at all for our Bible to speak in terms of images, of pictures for the Christian life. What is one picture that we commonly think of when we think of the Christian life, that the Bible invites us to look at our Christian life as? Any ideas? A battle, a war. Remember when he, Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul tells us, put on the whole armor of God, right? What's another one? What would be another example that we're invited to look at, at our Christian life as being like? A race, exactly, right here. What else? A, a wrestling match. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against principalities and powers. The, there's, there's, there's all kinds of examples, um, as, as uh, Andrea said, husband and wife, um, a picture of our relationship to Christ as being like that. What about a, 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 a being led by a shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I am being led in my Christian life like that. The relationship between a father and a son, or a father and a daughter. All these pictures are examples, and they're for a purpose, They are to teach us something specific about the Christian life. So now in Hebrews 12, when the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that we are to run a race that is set before us. What he isn't saying is he's not saying this is a competition. He's not saying that your Christian life is competing against the Christian next to you. Like you need to go faster than they do or you need to push harder than they do. There's no competition in line here. The only competition, in a sense, is yourself. It is a race that you need to run. So he's not talking about any form of competition. We're not running against anyone. The idea, though, of this race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we have a picture of that, even by the very word that is used to describe the race here in Hebrews chapter 12. It is the word from which we get our word 
agony. How many of you have ever been in agony? Yeah, I think all of us would raise our hands. We don't like being in agony, do we? Here's what he's, in a, in, in a sense, what he's saying. Run the agony that is set before you. That sounds like a marathon to me personally. <laughs> that sounds like agony. That's the picture. What's the point? He's saying that your Christian life is a course in front of you that you need to run with severe effort and exertion and it's going to be really hard. Now that's a truth that all of us need to embrace. There is absolutely a truth. There is absolutely a picture of our spiritual life in which we are a channel of God's power to do what he wants us to do. And the Christian life is about receiving that power and using it. In that sense, the Christian life is not an exertion. It's not an effort. It's not just mere willpower. Like, I have to grit my teeth and try harder. No, you have to know where the source of your power is. And yet that picture of reliance, of dependence on God, is balanced by the picture of a race. That there is exertion involved. There is effort involved. There is suffering involved. There is difficulty involved. Like those marathoners going uphill at the end of a race that has them exhausted. There are times when your life is going to seem like it is running straight uphill. And you don't have the power to complete it. That's the point. We have a race. It's going to be hard. And it's going to require focus and effort and exertion in our spiritual lives. But notice also, he doesn't just say run a race. He says run the race. And not just the race, the race that is set before us. What's the point? The point is you and I don't control our race. A race is set before you. Just like those marathoners taking off from downtown Minneapolis. They didn't get to say, you know what? I don't like this uphill part. How about I just keep on running down the river for the rest of the time and I'll get to 26.2 miles my own way. They don't get to do that. A course has been laid out and it has been laid out in front of them. Now here's this point. Your race is not my race. And my race isn't yours. Do you know this is very hard for some of us, especially when we're suffering? We're suffering relational difficulty and we look around at people who seem to have all their relationships in a row and we say, why can't I run their race? This isn't fair. We look at someone who is perfectly healthy and we're racked with suffering in our body and our body is, is, is absolutely abandoning us. And we say, God, why can't I have their race? And God says, because that's not your race. I've got, I've got a race that I put in front of you. I remember when Peter, in John chapter 21, Jesus is telling him what his race is going to look like, and it's going to look like dying for him. And Peter sees John sitting right there, and he says, Jesus, what's he going to do? What's his race? Do you remember how Jesus responded to, to Peter? He said, here's what he said. Jesus said unto him, if I will, if I desire that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Don't worry about his race, Peter. Worry about yours. Just follow me. 
And some of us need to stop looking around at other people's races and saying, you have it so much easier than I do. You have it so, if only I could have that person's race. It doesn't matter. What is that to you? Follow Jesus. Follow the race that he has set before you. It's a race that's set before us. It's a specific course that I don't control. But notice ultimately what it is. It's a race of endurance. Look back at, at chapter 12. He says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, do we understand what patience is? If you're a young parent, you do. You do understand what patience is. And sometimes we think of patience only as our response in, to an immediate moment of irritation. Oh, I could strangle you. No, I got to be patient. That's not really totally the idea of what's going on here. This word patience has the idea in the Greek literally of remaining under. Remaining under. Think of a big heavy burden being placed on your back and it's pushing you down and you're crouching under it and you're going slowly step by step. What is everything in your mind telling you? Throw it off. This burden is heavy. You don't want it. What would it mean to remain under? To keep on going step by step, even if it's uncomfortable. And this is endurance. This is the meaning, the idea of this word patience. It's endurance. Run with endurance. Run with patience. Think of those marathon runners today. They are going uphill at the very end. Their legs are screaming. Stop. And for some of them, what they really want to do is step off and take a break and get a sip of water and sit under the tree and say, I'm done. But what do they do? They remain under. They keep on going even though their legs are screaming and though all they want to do is sit under a tree and take a nap. That's what he's saying. The race that is set before you requires your endurance. It is a race that is only your race, not someone else's. And it is going to require your effort and exertion. This is the race that is before each one of us. It starts when we accept Jesus as our Savior and we go from those starting blocks. It does not end until we die. That's the race. We're all on one if we're in Jesus. And for every single one of us is going to require great endurance. Secondly, no, notice not just the race. Look at the reasons that we are to run this race with endurance. Notice what he says here in chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, wherefore, because of what we've said before, seeing we also are compassed about, we are encircled with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, I want you to picture something about this marathon that's going on in, twin, in, in the Twin Cities today. I want you to imagine those people that are coming alongside not to run the race, but to view the race. They're coming alongside at the mile markers and they're saying, keep on going. Let's go. You can do this. The family members have selected one spot where their loved one is going to run by and they're going to see them there and they're going to say, keep on going. You're almost there. Hebrews 12 tells us that there are witnesses 
that are encircling us and not just one or two or five or ten, a great cloud. Now, Hebrews 11 has been introducing some of them to us. Here's what he's saying. Moses is up there. David is up there. Noah is up there. Abraham is up there. Sarah is up there. Rahab is up there. All these people are among the great cloud of witnesses, and I have been introducing you to them. That's the entire point. Now, here's the question. What does he mean by witnesses? Because witnesses can mean two things. Witnesses are those who see something. Like if you were to say, I witnessed what happened. You would be saying, I saw it. But that's not the only thing we say a witness is. A witness is also someone who says something, right? I was a witness in court. They're a witness in court only if they speak. They're saying something. So here's my question for you. When Hebrews 12 says that we have witnesses encircling us, is it saying that primarily we have people who are seeing us? Or people who are saying something to us? What do you think? Are they seeing us? Or are they saying something to us? Let's see if we can understand from the context of Hebrews 10 and 11 and 12 that will answer that question for us, okay? Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10, will you? Hebrews chapter 10. The entire point of this in teaching is the need for endurance. Notice what he says in verse 32 of chapter 10. He is telling them, call to remembrance. Remember the former days, the days of the past, in which after you were illuminated, you came to faith, you endured a great fight of afflictions. You endured. You need to remember that time when you endured. Partly while you were made a gazing stock, you were being mocked and scorned both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, in my imprisonment, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Why did you take joyfully people robbing you? Because you knew in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Are you remembering things, these pictures that we've been coming out of Hebrews 11? Now notice verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience. That's word, that endurance. You have need of endurance, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. What promise? The everlasting life that Jesus came to give. That none of us have received entirely yet. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Jesus is coming, he says. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now look at verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good Witness, a good report. Really, the idea of that word is it's related to the same word in chapter 12, verse 1, that says witnesses. So I'm just going to use the word witness. They obtained a good witness from whom? Who gave them a good witness? Who gave them a good testimony? God did. 
was that witness God seeing something or God saying something about them? When God gave them a good testimony, a gave, a gave them a good witness, was that meaning primarily something that God was seeing or that God was saying about them? Saying about them. We'll keep on going. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained what? There's that word again. Witness. Witness of God saying something. That he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet, what? Speaks. What's the point? God testified of him, and now he's testifying to you. Enoch, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, this witness that he pleased God. God testifying, God speaking about him. Keep on going to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed They spoke that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Then go over to verse 39. And these all, all these heroes of faith, having obtained a good witness, a good report, there's that word witness through faith, receive not the promise, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What's the point I'm trying to make? Hebrews 12.1, in my view, is not talking about people looking down from heaven and seeing you and cheering you on. You would not be able to find that teaching in Scripture if it's not here. If that doesn't mean witnesses who are looking down and seeing every detail of your life, it's not in Scripture. And I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I don't believe the Bible teaches that our loved ones who are saved are up leaning over the banister, leaning over the railing of heaven and watching everything that goes on. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. Now, do I know conclusively? No. All I'm saying is the Bible seems to be silent on that. What seems clear to me is that Hebrews 12.1 is talking about people not who are seeing us around the race, but are saying something to us. What are they saying? Keep running. Keep going. In other words, here's the better picture. The better picture is not those people at the Twin Cities Marathon who are family members not running the race and saying, come on, keep on going, you can do it, we're watching you. It's the people who ran in two two hours and a half finishing the race and then coming around in all their running gear and standing where you're going and saying, hey, we finished. You can finish too. We got there. Yeah, it was tiring, it was hard. But there's a finish line up there, and there's a reward if you finish. Keep on running. That's the picture. They're saying something to you. If you were to put it a different way, remember the portrait gallery that we've been going through and touring. The idea is that on the path of our Christian life, those portraits are by the side of our path. We're struggling with physical um, uh, illness, and God brings some great hero of faith who struggled with their own physical illness and endured and kept on going. And God says, see them, they endured, they're speaking to you right now, keep on going. Maybe we're struggling with relational difficulties, our, a difficult marriage, a difficult family relationship. And God says, see David, he had that too. 
His portrait is by the side of your race, and he endured and he finished. You keep on going. That's the point. We are encircled with a cloud of witnesses who are saying something to us that they endured, that they reached the finish line, and they are no different than you are. They're made of the exact same stuff that you are, and if they finished, you can finish. So keep on running with endurance. That, I'm convinced, is the idea. God has witnessed to them, and now they are witnesses to us. But notice, he doesn't want to stop there. He wants to get to the greatest example of all. There's one more portrait in the portrait gallery of faith that Hebrews 11 didn't cover. And it's Jesus. Go to verse 2, will you? He says, in this race that is set before us, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. There's that endurance. He endured the race that was in front of him, which was the cross. And in enduring the cross, he despised the shame. He said, shame me. Hang me naked on a cross for everyone to see. Call me a criminal. Beat me until I'm bloody. I will endure to the end. He despised the shame, and look now, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the last portrait in the gallery that he wants to hold in front of us. That's not at the side of the race, but is directly in front of us that we need to look at, that we need to run toward. Do you know Jesus had a race to run that was set before him? That Jesus' life wasn't an accident? God's plan was for him to be crucified for your sin and for mine. That Jesus, in running the race, was made, endured many of the same temptations that you are. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Do you know Jesus' legs burned, if you will, on his spiritual journey when he fell down in the garden and cried and sweat drops of blood with such intensity and said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. That was his endurance. You say, did he have relationship difficulties? You bet. His own family didn't believe in him. He endured. He was mocked. He was scorned. He was belittled. He was rejected. And he ran the race. Do you look to Jesus as your example for what you're going through? You say, I've just been exhausted recently. I'm having a hard time sleeping. Jesus did too. Sometimes he'd go out and pray all night. And he endured. You can find in Jesus the example of exactly everything that we've been reading about in, 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 in Hebrews 11. And what's the point? He was doing it not merely out of obedience. He was doing it out of faith because there was joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured. What was the joy that was set before him? Hebrews 2, listen to the, this words. 
He said, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him or was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. What was the joy that was set before him? To bring you to glory to save you from your sin. That was a joy. Not only that, but to perfectly fulfill his Father's will. Do you remember this Messianic Psalm, Psalm 16, when speaking of the Messiah, the psalmist says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus looked ahead to the joy of fulfilling his father's work perfectly and by faith he endured what was in front of him. He is the great example of faith and thus the great example of endurance in being tempted in exactly the same ways that we are and yet running his race by faith. Do you see, again, what is the picture of every single one of these people in Hebrews 11 and into Hebrews 12, including Jesus of Nazareth? They had a race in front of them, and it was hard at times. They needed endurance. And what got them through was not just gritting their teeth and just simply, and just simply saying, all right, I guess I've got to suffer. It was because there was a hope set before them, a joy set before them a better resurrection, a life eternal with God, a forgiveness of sins, a redemption of the body. There was everything that they were looking for in the future and faith is the substance of things that we hope for and it is the evidence, the proof of things we don't see today. By faith, Christian, run your race. By faith, not looking to what you can see today, but what you can see in the future, run your race. By faith, focusing not on how you are feeling today, but focusing on what God has for you in the future and has promised you, run your race and run it with endurance. Do you know how much we are tempted by exactly what we are focusing on in our lives? How much we fall into unbelief simply by what we are choosing to look at? When we look at what the difficulties that are around us, I remember recently I was dealing with just, I was, having, I was coming to prepare a sermon. It was late at night. I was tired. been a long week. And I'm just saying, I don't want to do this. And I remember what really changed was when I said, you know what, that's unbelief. <laughs> I'm focusing on what I am in the present in, instead of focusing on what God has for me in the future. And you know, when I changed my focus to say, this is unbelief, call it what it is, I was able to get victory and say, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And I told Tabitha the next morning, it was unbelief. I just needed to repent of it. I, I needed to look at it the way God wanted me to look at it. And I don't know what area of unbelief that you are struggling with or what area of your journey is feeling particularly overwhelming today. But in the race that is set before you, you and I can either look at all the difficulty or we can look beyond it to the joy that is set before us and it'll change entirely how we're looking at the race. Where do I need to look? Where do you need to look? The ultimate joy 
is a resurrection in eternity with God, a redeemed body, and all the promises of God being coming to fruition in your life. So notice not only the race, not, not, notice not only the reasons for this race, but finally notice the responses that are necessary to run your race with endurance. Will you look with me again at, at verse 1? Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, just cast off every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us, the ideas of entangling us or tripping us up, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He mentions two things that need to be cast off if we're going to run our race with endurance. Weights and the sin. Now again, if we just have our idea in the, in, in the mindset of a runner, we'll get pretty close here. In ancient Greece, they used to run these long marathons, these races, entirely naked. And you think we have bad dress standards today. Why? Because they were absolutely set on having nothing that would slow them down. Even today, if you look at a runner, they have very minimal, very minimal outfits because they don't want anything slowing them down. Now, this is what he's saying. You, in your Christian race, have things that will slow you down. Now, notice he distinguishes between weights and sin. What he's saying is there are things in your life and my life that are not inherently wrong for you to do, but they are slowing you down. And what does he say to do with every single one of those things, every weight? Throw it off. Why? Because there's a race ahead of you. And you need to run it with endurance. Now, at this point in the message, it would be easy for me to start listing out examples of weights. Maybe weights in my own life. But you know what the problem is? Your weights may very well not be mine. And mine very well may not be yours. And the one who can tell you what weights that need to be laid off in your life is not me. It's him. He's the one who's going to tell you, you know, Peter, this is what's slowing you down in your life, in your Christian life. And you say, how do I even think about that? What does it mean to slow down my Christian life? Well, what if we started asking things like, what things do you get really compulsive about in your, in your life and that waste your time and you know it? What things, when you give yourselves to them, you feel less inclined to read the word of God, less inclined to pray. They distract you more from running your race with endurance. What sources of entertainment lead you to be discontented? What sources of, of free time or relaxation push you away from pursuing a relationship with Christ? What people in your life, what friend group, what areas of life you know are slowing you down? I can't tell you that, but he can. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Not out of duty, but out of faith. The faith that says, I've got a race to finish. I've got a race to run, and I'm not going to let this slow me down in my pursuit of relationship with Christ and the promises that he has for me. Lay aside every weight, he says. But notice what also he says. 
and the sin which does so easily, easily trip us up, beset us, entangle us. Now notice he doesn't say sins. He says the sin. Now, he could be speaking of truly what we think of besetting sins, sins that you fall into over and over and over again and you don't know how to get victory. But what if he's talking about only one sin, the sin? What do you think was the sin that he wanted to warn the Hebrews about more than anything else? What's the one sin? Unbelief. Does your unbelief trip you up often? No, I don't mean the unbelief of the atheist who says, I don't care what you have to say. I don't believe any of that and professes it. I'm talking about the kind of unbelief that says, yeah, I believe all that, but doesn't practice it. I'm talking about the unbelief that professes to believe the promises that God has for us, but doesn't live like it. I'm talking about the unbelief that professes belief, but practices unbelief. How easily does that trip us up when we realize that every act of sin that we commit or, the, or righteousness that we don't commit is ultimately an unbelief issue? We don't believe. We don't truly believe. And the point is that I want to make, if you were just to step back and look at all of verse 1 from a perspective, from just a summary, here's what I'd Summarize it as, run the race like you actually believe it. Run the race like you actually believe it. I want you to imagine today that at 8 o'clock, as all of these people who were dressed like runners with all the right gear on, with all the right shoes, they were up at the start of the race. They'd been training for months. And as they're there, standing there, someone else walks into the race and says, hey, I hear the race starts at 8 o'clock. And they're wearing snow boots, a snowsuit. They say it's a little chilly out this morning. I don't want to get too cold. I've got a big backpack on. I've got all the Twinkies that I'm going to need for this 26-mile walk. I've got an entire huge thing of, of, of Coke that's going to stimulate me on. And looks around and says, all right, are we ready to go? What would everyone there that has been training for this for months say? It's an insult. You think that you're going to be running a race and clearly you have no idea what you're in for. What I'm saying is that there's a way in which we approach our Christian race of faith that lays aside weights and lays aside the sin of unbelief and prepares to run with endurance what God has. And another person who just says, yeah, I believe all that stuff. Are you running? No, I'm walking over here. I, I went off the path over here. That part's too hard. And friends, frankly, it's an insult. It's an insult to Jesus Christ to say, I believe in you and live like we don't. It's an insult to all the cloud of witnesses who have lived and believed and suffered for the cause of Christ for us to say, I'm just wandering through. Maybe I'll get there. Maybe I won't. I want you to imagine that someone came to your backyard, came to knock on your door, and they said, I've been, I've been studying your backyard, and I've been researching into it, and your backyard is utterly full of gold. 
We could mine that out. It's just your backyard. You would be wealthy. You'd never have to work again. And he said, wow, that's pretty interesting. He said, do you believe me? I say, yeah, I believe you. And I come back and knock on your door a week later and say, hey, so what's going on? Are you getting ready? Yeah, I'll get around to it. I'll get there eventually. A month later, a year later, two years later. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I believe you. I, I'll get around to it. Do you know it would be far less insulting than that for, that for you to say, sorry, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe what you say about the gold in my backyard. I'm not going to invest my resources in it. That would be way less insulting than giving them the back of the hand to say, yeah, I believe you. Sure, I believe you. And never acting on it. And what I want to say to those of us who profess the, the name of Jesus Christ and believe that there is an eternal resurrection that is awaiting them and all the rewards of God's promises that are in front of them, that they say, I believe that. I believe Jesus is coming again. I believe there is an eternity in which God is going to reward those who have faithfully served him. I believe it. And they insult him by living their life as if it's not true, by investing all their resources in today in the things of this world, in the ideas and the people who are only oriented toward this world. What an insult it is to those not only the one who is the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, but to those who are running the race faithfully with endurance around us. Christian, to run with endurance is to run by faith, and to run by faith is simply to run with the practical awareness that everything that God says is true and that there will be a reward for those who lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets them and to run with endurance the race that is set before them. Think of those people. They've finished now. Many of them have. Some are still running. Some of them right now as we speak are still running up that hill trying to get to the finish line. Their legs are burning. But they're going to finish. You, Christian, have a race that has been set in front of you. Your legs may be burning today or they will be sometime soon in the future. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside the sin that is besetting you and tripping you up today and run with endurance the race that is set before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth. This great cloud of witnesses is speaking to us and saying to us that we can endure, that we can finish the race, that whatever we are going through today, someone else has endured and finished the race. Father, may we lay aside every weight. May we lay aside the sin that so easily besets us and may we run with patience the race that is before us. Let's pause now. I don't know where you are in your race. Both your heads bowed and your eyes closed. By faith, what needs to be laid aside? By faith, what needs to be focused on? By faith, what steps of endurance do we need to take? And as we reflect on that, if you don't know 
whether you've ever started the race. You don't know whether you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. If you're not looking to him as the author and finisher of your faith, you need to start the race first by trusting in him solely for your eternal life. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, may that be true in each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.